Travellers, and welcome to Podcast 66 in our series, You Should Have Been There, with me, Mick Webb. And me, Simon Calder. And today we're looking at travel's nuclear options, the way that, however tragic the atom-splitting disaster, tourism is never far behind. Johannes, why on earth are you spending quite a lot of time and money coming to a place of human tragedy? Well... I would say, since I've been in, in Kiev anyway, I thought I need to go here. And um, it's quite some time ago and I wasn't even born when all the tragedy happened. So I just wanted to see it by myself. And understand what happened. Yes, and just see uh, how big of an impact the tragedy had on the surroundings. And that's, I, that's the main thing I just wanted to see here. Well, I've never been to Chernobyl, though I have watched the miniseries, and I'm not sure it would be on my list of must-see places, but we'll talk about that in a minute. First, though, in the wake of last week's podcast, I should just mention a couple of excellent twinning schemes brought to our attention by listeners. Alec told us about the twinning arrangement between the Scottish hamlet of Dull and the uh, northern Oregon town of Boring, a uh, marriage (laughs) made in heaven, I'd say. Um, Anyway, August the 9th is the uh, day of the twinning celebration. And if you happen to be passing boring, do pop in as you might catch a bagpipe performance. And then there's this tweet from Tom Bird who reveals that my home city of York is the only place to be twinned with itself. It's twinned with the Viking city of Jurvik in exactly the same location, but a different era the 10th century. And uh, well, he sends us a photo of some very dodgy looking modern day Vikings to prove the point. So please do let us know about any interesting takes on twinning that uh, you have at our Twitter account. You should have BT. And uh, is it too dark to ask if Chernobyl has a twin, Simon? Well, I don't know that there's ever been such a nuclear disaster, but um, I imagine um, Three Mile Island might resonate with a few listeners. This was a partial meltdown of a reactor in Pennsylvania near the city of Harrisburg, and there was a radiation leak. And at the time, it seemed to be a real uh, concern for for, for the world, but um, nothing like what happened 35 years ago in Ukraine, close to the border with Belarus, at the V.I. Lenin nuclear power plant outside the village of Chernobyl, uh, reactor number four exploded. And that definitely was the world's worst nuclear disaster, at least so far. Yet the tragedy that unfolded there, 26th of April 1986, and spread radioactive fallout across Europe, is now claimed to be the leading tourist attraction in Ukraine. And to mark the anniversary, um, uh, over the weekend, the national airline operated a special joy flight over the scene. What is going on? Well, to find out more about Chernobyl and travel's numerous nuclear options, we're joined by Dr. Claire Corkhill, who's reader in nuclear material corrosion at the University of Sheffield. Hello, Claire. And can you decode your job title, please? 
Yes. Hello, Simon. Hi, Mick. Um, Hello, Claire. My job is to research radioactive waste materials to understand about their chemistry and their behavior once they're exposed to the environment. So, for example, we're working with uh, other researchers at Chernobyl to understand the melted down nuclear fuel that still sits inside the reactor. Right. So, so um, well, in these days of variants of concern, you are actually an engineer bestriding the earth searching for, uh, I'm guessing here, isotopes of alarm? <laughs> yes, we're trying to minimise the isotopes of alarm in everything that we do. <laughs> I'm very pleased to hear that, Claire. Uh, Simon, you actually went to Chernobyl, didn't you? I did. And this was shortly before the world closed down from the purposes of travel. And I did what everybody does. Um, although perhaps uh, I assume if you're if you're Claire, you get access all areas. But I very simply signed up for a tour of the uh, site. And it's quite an elaborate procedure. Um, not sure if you've ever done this, Claire, but you... you um, have to give all kinds of details well in advance, your passport. Um, there's a whole dress code of what you're supposed to wear. Ah, um, like and, what sort of thing? Well, you've got to wear long sleeve shirts. You've got to have um, proper shoes on, none of your sandals, uh, none of your Crocs, um, because you are, uh, well, I'm assuming this is this is a very, very um, <laughs> cheap and um, cheerful method of, of protection against uh, radiation would it be Claire or would it just be because there's lots of um, uh, lo lots of detritus scattered around of a non-nuclear but still pot potentially pain painful variety I, I think it's exactly as you said Simon if you cover your arms and legs and and you're wearing proper shoes it means that less of your skin is going to be exposed to any potential bits of radioactive dust and debris that are still hanging around um, and w when I visited it was 35 degrees celsius on the day so wearing long sleeves wow. was really really hot and i have to say that um they do not protect you from the ants at chernobyl um who, who seem to like to eat their lunch on me when i visit uh, which raises the question how many times have you been there uh i have been a couple of times right and from from a scientific point of view as opposed to a touristic point of view well actually once i visited as a scientist and once um as a tourist i signed up for a two-day tour wow. uh, where we toured the reactor on the first day we stayed over in the hotel in chernobyl itself at night which was a really interesting experience wow. with a curfew um, and the following day we we visited the city of pripyat that was the one that bore the brunt of the uh, the, the, the fallout, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it was abandoned, which is what makes it such an interesting place to visit now. You, you can see what happens to a concrete city as, as, it, as it is, really, um, after 35 years of, of nobody living there at all. You know, there, there are trees growing up through the streets. Um, there are wild dogs roaming everywhere. It's, it's really kind of post-apocalyptic. You're making it sound quite a lot like Streatham, where Mick lives in South London. <laughs> Yeah, I'll start tours. Um, <laughs> what do they charge for Chernobyl, just out of interest? Well, I, I paid, I seem to remember, about uh, £120. That includes uh, rental of a Geiger counter, which kind of uh, <laughs> it increases the Sorry, thrill. excuse me laughing. <laughs> I'm not, not sure if it, if it actually adds much protection, but but it does uh, give you, a, you know, it, it, it chimes along with, it, with your trip. And I found it profoundly fascinating. I hesitate to say great fun because you are roaming around this kind of wild and deserted 
uh, town, quite quite ghostly. And the people I spoke to also had the day of their lives. Cat, we've now been on the road for 11 hours. Tell me what you thought of the tour. I thought it was a fascinating tour. It was so interesting to hear the stories of the people that lived there and had to leave and the workers. And it's so interesting to see how nature has retaken the land and just grown over all the buildings wherever possible. And to compare it to the pictures of how it looked before, you would never recognise it. It was remarkable. I'd really recommend it. And you don't think it's just a bit voyeuristic looking at this very macabre scene? <laughs> it is a bit. You can forget that so many people died because of this while you're looking around taking your photos. But I think it's interesting and important to look at these uh, historical events and learn about what actually happened at them and to remember them. Uh, Tell me, you're a long way from home, aren't you? We are. Um, um, what brought you here to Chernobyl? We always wanted to visit Kiev. So as we recently retired, we decided to try and see as much of Europe as we can. And this was on our list. So we've, it's been a really good time. Oh, it's been interesting. It's certainly interesting. been interesting. Yeah. Kiev's a great city, but this is an added bonus to it. Do you think there's something slightly sinister, maybe even morally macabre. wrong? Macabre. Macabre, about coming to see a place like this? Uh, not if it's cleaned up. <laughs> no, we watched a documentary um, on them covering the... With the sarcophagus. With the sarcophagus and building it, building and it and putting it. it on and how they did it, which was absolutely fascinating. So it's nice to see that in the flesh, so to speak, um, having, having watched a documentary. Mm. And do you think that everyone should come to see this place just to understand what happened and the tragic stories behind it? I think it's like any part of history, isn't it? As long as it's retold and lessons are learnt, then I think people should come. But I don't think it should be obligatory, obviously. It's got no. to be a choice. Yeah, it certainly has to be a choice for them. Don't any doubt. Charlie Smith, tell me what you make of the Chernobyl experience. Uh, the Chernobyl experience is breathtaking. Uh, it's surreal. Um, it's dark and creepy at times. Uh, it's got a lot of um, eerie feelings and it's quite paranormal. That's uh, worryingly evocative. Uh, Claire, I've kept an eye on Simon since uh, he returned from Chernobyl and he looks okay, well as okay as he ever does, but uh, is it risky? Are there any long-term risks uh, involved in exploring the site of a nuclear disaster? Well, I think radiologically speaking, there's actually really very little risk. So, so long as you follow the advice of the travel guides who are taking you around the area and that you stick to the paths that they tell you to stay to, then you're not going to encounter too much radioactivity. Um, it, in fact, the amount of radioactivity that you'll be exposed to on a two-day trip uh, to the exclusion zone um, and I've, I've tested this, actually. I took my own Geiger counter with me when I visited. Um, it's actually less than the amount of radiation or the dose that you'll receive when you're flying from London to Kiev. And that's because when you're at 33,000 feet in a plane, there's not so much of the Earth's oh. atmosphere to shield you from the radiation from the sun. So actually, the radiation that you get on the ground at Chernobyl is, is oh. less than you'll have on that flight. So um, provided that you do what the guides tell you to do you wear your long sleeve clothing you wash your hands you don't want to eat any dust by accident and you try not to lick anything whilst you're there um then there's very little radiological risk and presumably don't pat the stray dogs 
Uh, yes, well, they're probably the most dangerous thing that's that's there, to be honest, although they're all very friendly. Um, the, the other thing I suppose that you should be careful of is entering any buildings that might be falling down. And there are buildings that are falling down. So, oh, wow. again, <clears throat> listen to the travel guides. Um, I, I'm afraid what you were saying, Claire, does beg the important question. Do you take a Geiger counter everywhere with you? Um, I do have a personal dose meter and I have been making a, a map um, actually with my husband. He's he's very interested in this, making a map everywhere we go in the world to see where we get the most radioactivity. Ooh, and who's winning? Uh, Where's winning? Well, the, the highest dose always is when we take long flights, long haul flights. Claire, I know you live near and go running in the Peak District National Park. Uh, and I remember reading somewhere that uh, some of those uh, ancient rocks that you find in those landscapes actually are extremely um, radioactive. Is, 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 is that the case? Then I wouldn't say they were extremely radioactive, but yes, they do contain some radioactivity. You often find this in rocks like granite. So all over the country, if you live perhaps in Cornwall or Devon, uh, near the Peak District or Lake District National Parks, where these big hills are present, um, these granite rocks contain uranium, naturally occurring uranium. And as that radioactively decays, it can turn into a gas called radon. Um, and, and that radon gas sometimes causes people problems with their houses. They have to install um, air ventilation systems to make sure it doesn't accumulate in basements and so on. So it's actually really common. Natural radioactivity is around us everywhere. Meanwhile, back at Chernobyl, you've worked as a scientist there. Do you, and I guess the other scientists and engineers, they despair that a place full of terror should actually become a visitor attraction? Or do you think that tourism there actually performs a useful purpose? Well, I, I think the first thing to say is that until the nuclear reactor is actually cleaned up, um, and it, it's still there, it's still full of radioactive materials, the exclusion zone that exists around Chernobyl, it's 30 kilometre zone, it can't really be used for very much at all. There are some solar farms that have been established, but, but people can't live there because the levels of radioactivity are, are too high for you to be there for long periods of time. So I think over... Shorter periods of time, if you're a tourist, a visitor, um, you, you don't have the same level of hazard. And I think it's a really fascinating place to visit. Um, there's loads to learn about nuclear engineering, about the, the history of nuclear, thinking forward to the future of nuclear power as well, um, and also Soviet history. Um, and I, I know I was really excited to see this when I visited Chernobyl. Uh, it, it's one of the last towns in the former USSR to actually have a statue of Lenin. So from a historical perspective, it's a really interesting place. And the important thing is that your visit is helping the local economy to pay for the ongoing cleanup, which costs Ukraine something like 11% um, of its GDP. So anything that you can do to visit that area is, is going to help the economy. We've talked about things that go terribly wrong with civilian nuclear power stations. But of course, the origins, I guess, lie in the atomic bombs used in the Second World War. And I believe you've actually been to Hiroshima in Japan, which was the target of the first wartime use of, a, uh, I think they called it an A-bomb there, didn't they, in 1945? What, what did you find? Yeah, it, it was a really fascinating, but also very humbling city to visit. Um, there was obviously a huge amount of devastation after the bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, and near the centre 
of the bomb, where, where the bomb was uh, dropped. It exploded some hundreds of feet above the city, but but the entire city was was levelled essentially as a result. And some somewhere between 130 and 226,000 people were killed in both of those bombs. So really devastating place. Um, but but near the epicenter of of the bomb in Hiroshima, you can see one of the buildings that that miraculously withstood um, the destructive force and the fire that followed after the bomb. Um, and so this this building is called the A Dome. Um, it's it's one of the only buildings that was left standing, and they've left it as a memorial, um, really to remember that that this event happened and it, that it was totally devastating. Do you know why it survived? Well, most of the buildings in the city at that time in Japan were constructed of wood, so so most people's homes just were set on fire instantly. Um, the A Dome building and a couple of others. There was a bank which was um, made of stone, uh, and a school as well made of stone. Uh, the A Dome itself was made of stone. Um, these buildings, just because of their construction, they they were able to withstand um, the intense heat of the fire that came uh, after. Uh, the bomb exploded. There are also um, really interesting statues, and uh, one of them is a, a little grave marker. It's, it's a little statue of a, a smiling, sitting man, about a foot tall he is, and he's, he's got a smile on his face. And you can see just on his cheeks, it, they're burn marks from where the the, the bomb and the fire um, impacted upon the, the city. And so, so the things that were stone are still standing, but everything else was completely... You know, disintegrated well listening to your 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 description of of um, uh hiroshima claire i was thinking about what charlie had to say about chernobyl when he called the experience of visiting a surreal dark creepy um and i wondered if there was a sort of odd frisson that we all get out of this being so close to something uh incredibly powerful and dangerous um a bit like um well, I remember standing very close to the Iguazu Falls in uh, Argentina and Brazil a couple of years ago and thinking this is so powerful and so devastating and so potentially dangerous and so kind of brilliant. Is it a bit like that? Well, I, I suppose there's, for some people, maybe a kind of morbid curiosity um, about yeah. about places like this. But, but for me... It, I, I liken it to the trips you may have gone on as, at school uh, to the World War I uh, battlefields and trenches. It's a, a place that has been preserved to commemorate the events that happened there and, and for us to remember as a, as a human race and a society what, what the cost of some of these events are to us as as people and so in Hiroshima there's a, a peace memorial museum which really beautifully presents the city before um, uh, the atom bomb went off and it, it, it details what happened during the event and there's a peace park and and a memorial to remember um, I, I think really it's just for me personally um, important for us to understand these events from a historical perspective, and and that's why I like to visit them. There is a well-known e equation, um, or at least one I've um, devised, which seems to be absolutely accurate, which is that tragedy plus time equals tourism, and that applies wherever you go in the world. I think whether you're talking about uh, 
the battle site of Culloden in uh, northern Scotland, um, all the way through to the 9-11 memorial in New York. It is simply something that we want to, I guess, hear these compelling human stories. Uh, there's certainly an element of um, there, but for fortune go I. Um, but they are just chilling stories that I think also enlighten us, do they? Or, or are we after some kind of um, lesser uh, gratification? I, I think that they do enlighten us. And I, I think so long as, as a visitors to these areas, remember that these were tragic events in which people lost their lives. You know, there's really loads to learn about science, engineering, history and, and human nature. And I, I think, Simon, if your tragedy plus time really works well for nuclear tourism, because obviously radioactive elements decay, they have a half-life. Oh. And so the longer you leave it, the less radioactive these areas will be. Uh-uh. And the more open to visits. Yes. What a... and, yeah, yeah, exactly. But this is part of a, uh, a wider phenomenon, which uh, is called by some people dark tourism. And I actually found a really interesting website called uh, darktourism.com. Um, which even had a kind of rating for uh, uh, different places, depending on how dark they were. Uh, and uh, you can go to Medellin in, in Colombia and sort of go on a tour of the, uh, the, the places where uh, Pablo Escobar um, uh, kind of created his um, um, extremely destructive drug empire. Um, and that's now sort of kind of okay well i i I think that that sounds exactly what i would want to do next time in in medellin a city that uh, in fact you and i have have visited before and which appears to be now much brighter and gosh i would celebrate going somewhere which has so turned things around from a city's point of view that you can actually go off on the escobar experience and and have you know a, a jaunty day out um, of course, showing uh, suitable respect to the lives which have been wrecked by by uh, the cocaine business, but it sounds sounds good fun to me. Um, I don't know how radioactive it is, Claire, but would you be there? I would, I would. Um, but but I I do think that um, it becomes acceptable to to visit a place that you might consider as a dark tourism um, when the local people have accepted that it's it's acceptable um so right, so in chernobyl yeah. that that's that's really the whole point is that these tour companies have sprung up because it is time for people to share what happened there um and, and in exactly the same way uh, hiroshima is not so open people aren't so comfortable about talking about it beyond the museum you have to really rely upon local people who you know, are standing there on the street with leaflets. They're not getting paid. They they just want to tell the story of their city, but it's not something the entire city is on board with. So the tourism there is is perhaps a, a bit more in the dark rather than dark tourism because they don't really want to talk about it yet. So there is a sensitivity, um, truly, about how these events have affected people, but but also a payoff because that tourism boosts the local economy and and i have to say some of these places are, are just beautiful um hiroshima and even fukushima um some of the best food i've ever eaten in the world and i would go back at a drop of a hat just to eat the food let alone uh, visit the dark tourism uh, places uh, well, well so, so uh, yes tragedy plus time plus good eating opportunities equals tourism 
Yes. <laughs> I, I, I'm here with um, with Claire in terms of what the locals want and, of course, the economic benefits that tourism bring. Um, and if you go to Vietnam, uh, of course, now the, the terrible Vietnam War, or as they call it, the American War, is a, a couple of generations away. But it is... I guess they was. I think it's fair to say they capitalise upon it. They take tourists to the tunnels of Kuchi outside Ho Chi Minh City, formerly Saigon, and you get to crawl around the tunnels and get some idea of what it was like when the guerrillas, the Viet Cong, were fighting this uh, uh, this war against the Americans. Um, and actually, the uh, War Memories Museum. Um, it used to be called the War Atrocities Museum, and then quite a lot of uh, Americans started going. Is now the biggest tourist attraction, I think, in the whole of Vietnam. Have you been there, Claire? I have not. Yeah. No, I have not. There is one thing I've been um, really wanting to ask you all the while we've been talking, Claire, which is uh, nuclear installations these days i've got to say that um i still feel um some kind of vague dread when i see a uh, uh, a often sort of quite um anonymous looking <laughs> cube of building high up on a cliff as happened to me uh, once uh, when i went with my family to a lovely beach on the uh, west side of the Cotentin um, Peninsula, that bit that sticks up with Cherbourg in, uh, in, uh, in northwestern France. Uh, and uh, we found this beach called Flamanville, and it was quite uh, misty when we went there, and the sun gradually burnt off the mist, uh, and beautiful sort of stretch of beach. And the sea was a ridiculous uh, sort of um, Pacific kind of blue. And then we saw up on a cliff this rather odd-looking building. And if, uh, I discovered that it, indeed it was, uh, I don't know, you know, Flamanville B or something. It was a it was a nuclear reactor. And I've got to say, it really took the shine off the rest of the of the rest of the day. But I, I do you think that's oh, is that no. ridiculous, really? Um, Oh, well, I mean, I, I suppose nuclear power stations do look a little bit like they've come out of a James Bond movie. Um, so I can understand your kind of feeling of dread as it's coming out of the mist. Um, but but I, I think, you know, yes, they tend to be located on the coast. Uh, and that's because you need a lot of water to run a nuclear power station. Um, but but people shouldn't be afraid of being near them, certainly. Um, nuclear technology is is far safer than many other types of technology that are available for, for generating energy. There, there just have been, you know, several incidences where it has gone terribly wrong. And, and unfortunately, Chernobyl and, and Fukushima and Three Mile Island as well um, show us that, that when the technology does go wrong, it, it can go very badly wrong. Um, but but I would say in terms of your risk from being near that power station, you know, you, you're more likely that... that um, your ferry on from uh, from um, uh, across the channel will sink than you you would be uh, exposed to any kind of nuclear accident whilst you're sat on the beach at, at Flamanville. <laughs> I don't know whether that's allayed my fears or just given me some more. <laughs> <laughs> well. That next week, actually, on, on that, you should have been there. We're talking about the destination lottery, the places that we may or may not be able to reach this summer. Uh, so I can tell anywhere 
close to uh, power station won't be on Mick's um, agenda. But what about you, Claire? Will you and your husband actually be um, traveling around uh, measuring radiation uh, this summer? Have you got any plans? Well, we like to go to Cornwall for our summer holidays, but but we, we might give it, sadly, might give it a miss this year because it looks like the whole world is going oh, to go to yeah. Cornwall for their summer holidays this year. So so we might just stick to the Peak District um, and, and enjoy the hills near home. Okay, and listeners, if you if you um, approach a couple and there appear to be lots of clicks and beeps and noises, um, that will almost certainly be Claire and her husband and their Geiger counter off on another great expedition. <laughs> Claire, thank you so much for giving us your expertise. And Dr. Claire Corkhill is a contributor to the Channel 5 documentary, Russia versus the World, which you can find on My5. And it is actually a very good 90-minute romp through 1,000 years of Russian history, including a very good sequence on uh, uh, Chernobyl, even though that actually kind of took place in Ukraine. And of course, do get in touch with your own tales of dark tourism, as well as more uplifting travel experiences. Well, let me add my thanks to Simon's, Claire. I really enjoyed our chat. And as Simon said, next week's topic is the destination lottery. Where are we going to be allowed to go and when? Until then, from me, Simon Calder. And me, Mick Webb. Goodbye. Goodbye. And goodbye from me, Claire, on the edge of the Peak District. Thank you.